another quick, just family update. It's end of the year. Um, and so we've been just this month, we like to update kind of where, where we are as a church family um, financially, uh, just so you know where we're at. So if, if you're visiting us, uh, if, if you're just checking things out, I hope this is really just kind of for our church family. We'd love for you to tune in, but don't feel any obligation. This is uh, for people committed and saying, this is my my family here at Hope. Uh, this is just always reminding you that we love following Jesus together to bring great joy to our city. And we do that through gospel and community on mission. Um, and so just quickly, financially, uh, actually the top two weren't updated, but this week, incredibly, we have a December goal of $65,000 to try to uh, get back on track in our budget. And this week, uh, just this week, $5,000 was already given, which is incredible. And so just want to encourage you to continue considering that, um, changing your reoccurring gift, maybe deciding to start doing a reoccurring gift or uh, giving. You can do that online on our app. Um, you can also do it. There's a black box on the communion table, but just wanted to ask you to continue joining in that. Uh, we, God has been very faithful to us and love to see how he shows up when we think uh, no one else can do it and he does it. So we're excited to see how that works. Um, and today, actually, um, we're looking at why would we meet people who are generous like this as we start a little series. And I, I do want to share one of my favorite Christmas. I think it's the nostalgia of it. Um, but the Grinch, the old like 30-minute Grinch cartoon just hits something. The music in it and that voice. Um, so I want to show you a clip I just love from it. And the clip doesn't look right unless it's on an old TV. So I brought my old TV. happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then, the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches, plus two. It's so fun. So, if you haven't seen it, the Grinch uh, is a person who steals all the presents from a from a t the Whoville people and loads them in his sleigh, he dresses as Santa doing it and uh, sneaks in and steals them all. And then he realizes, he hears on the mountaintop, the people are still singing. There's still joy in town, even though their stuff is all gone. And it, uh, it's cool, it actually changes his heart. So then he becomes, he actually decides to return the gifts and he becomes part of the Whoville people. It's, I, I think just that's just such a great story. Um, and I just love it. It's such a core, like, kind of gospel story. And so today I wanted us to think about this as we look at our Christmas story. Um, and it's a really kind of core um, thing we talk about here, a foundational thing we believe the gospel does to us and I hope we like to talk about. What this looks like, well, how do we become people who, whose hearts grow to that size where we even are willing to return the gifts that we've taken or changes us to where no longer we're a grump who lives on a hill and complains about the people, and now are part of the people, and in fact, throwing a feast and being generous. What does it look like to people who, um, who do that? And so I think something happens here. Like in the, in the movie, right, the Grinch hears the people singing. He's actually changed by their joy that it doesn't come from their stuff, but it comes, it seems, from them and their community and their love for one another. And so I hope we call that, we call that overflowing. 
And so we like to use this. And this is, a, I want to encourage us today as we're thinking about what does it look like even to move in next year? This is a time of year you might start thinking, what does 2024 look like for me? Am I going to make a resolution? Or my anti-resolutions, but I'm going to make some goals, whatever you need to call them. Uh, what does it look like for me? I think this is a really helpful thing to consider. Are you just going to be someone who's like, hopefully going to muster up enough whatever that's going to make your heart grow so that you could be generous or maybe take on something more than you have. And I encourage us to consider uh, how God has made us. And it actually, uh, we're people who become uh, overflowers. So just a word I use, I think it's helpful to picture. So it's Christmassy time. And I thought, consider ourselves a cup, maybe a cracked cup. And the, that cracked cup itself isn't maybe full. Maybe it feels empty. It feels broken. It, uh, what is it really used for? And so how we see this then is something changes us. And so God actually comes, his spirit comes, he comes, Christ actually comes, the gospel, this good news actually changes us. So we maybe not hear from a mountaintop, uh, the, who peop, the Whoville people singing in a circle, but we, we hear the good news that's the real reality. And this time of year, we hear the good news that God himself actually comes to earth to rescue us. And so that actually fills us. Scripture actually uses that term often. We become like filled or full or in all of his fullness, we become people who understand these truths about the gospel, that we're loved, that we're rescued, that we can find rest, that we're safe. Oh, and that there's grace, that even though I'm a broken cup that doesn't do much or that I've, I've done some things I shouldn't have done, or maybe I stole all the gifts from the people in my town. If you've done that, I'd love to talk to you about that or how that even worked. Um, uh, there's grace. God still comes to me. And so all of that fills me. I start changing and see, I see my heart grow in a sense. And then we become people who then overflow that. So it's not, we can't overflow things unless we've kind of been filled with them is what we want to get to here. And then we become people who overflow things like grace and love to those around us, care, and we're willing to be people who give because the gospel has changed us. And so for me, I know many of the things that I spend my time trying to do are to fill my cup. And I realize God has done that in, in just a profound, bigger way even. And so now I can, don't need to spend my time trying to grab for those things, but I have been given those like love and safety and rest and so I can overflow. So it's this very simple idea, right? That we continue to be filled with the gospel and the spirit. And then we become people who are so filled with it that we decide to overflow, which might look like things like we see maybe corporately our church do. Like uh, we have pe people in our church that are tutoring right every week at Naraki Park or people are giving to Seika. This week I got to drop off gifts that you guys have been giving. Uh, we had more gifts than that filled the blue bin. So my whole car was full of gifts and I brought them in and I got a receipt that said, Hope Community Church gave 40 five pounds of toys. Uh, that doesn't help at all. That's like not a measurement. That's helpful. But Seika was thrilled. In fact, uh, at Seika, I gave, we got to give them these boxes of toys, which is so fun to get to be the one who brings them. Uh, kind of, a, I got to be Santa a little bit. And, um, and they said, oh, and the, one of the guys, Dave, who directs Seika, introduced me to some people. He said, this is Drew from Hope. We're so glad this church is in our town, which I mean, that's it, right? That's we got to overflow to people and in a way kind of even fill a little bit of Dave's cup with grace and love. And so this is the, how it works. So, so that's a, like with cups, right? We're filling up, thinking about if we're people who don't feel like it's, it's very easy to overflow or, or even feel motivated to, then consider maybe what am I filling my cup with? Um, and so it gets us back to this heart. 
this heart that grows in the Grinch and a heart for us, I think, that I would love to see for myself grow to a place where my um, even mission and my feelings and my thoughts change to the point uh, that, that are as radical as the Grinch's from a mission to steal toys and ruin Christmas to a heart that now wants to give and add to Christmas. And so we're doing a series just for a few weeks here together at Over Christmas we're calling Born Unto Us. And it's an opportunity to look at births in the Bible, nativities. So the word nativity actually just is, means a story of a birth. And so we're going to look at the birth of all births. Um, but really, we're going to start, though, sharing the story of another birth, of another person in Scripture, and, and how God has made them, and how they are just a little shadow, a picture of the greater birth, and how they might even kind of send us uh, flying towards the birth of Jesus. Um, if you start reading Old Testament this way, the stories before we read the stories of the Gospels of Jesus, you start seeing these little glimpses of a Jesus are almost like, oh, I wish, I wish we could like have a king like that, but like better. And then we get this one who is. And so we're going to look at a birth today uh, that hopefully sends us flying towards the birth uh, of Jesus. Um, and so today's December 10th. And so I'm not sure if you know which birth we're going to look at today, but just so you're aware, I'm sure some of you want to know who's, who was born on, on December 10th. Uh, Bobby Flay, the chef. We're not going to look at his birth, sorry. Uh, Joe Burrows, the football player. His birth does not remind me of Jesus. I don't know anyone's birth. Uh, Meg White of the White Stripes was born today in 1974. Emily Dickinson was born today in 1830. We're going to go way back, even before Emily Dickinson. Can you believe it? There was a time before that, way, way back. A time that comes right after this moment. So this, for us, is uh, written in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. God creates this incredible paradise, this place with Adam and Eve, the first people created in his image. And things are good and they're the way they're supposed to be. And God says, I just, I, I want you to take care of this and love each other and these things and take care of creation. And, and I'm with you. And he explains to them what life and death is and what to watch out for. And they decide to turn from that and say, I think we can figure it out. I think we can do it without you. Um, they're convinced they're deceived, and so they take action in that, and they actually eat it, eat from a fruit, from a tree they're asked not to, because God said that would actually bring death to you, and they do, and they actually are taken out of the garden. And there's shame now, and they have to cover themselves, where before there wasn't shame, and they didn't feel covered, they felt close to God and with God, and now they've had to walk out of this place. And we find ourselves with, I think, a very interesting birth. It's the birth of the first person born not in the garden. It's like the first birth, a birth that comes after Eve has been cursed that there's going to be pain in childbirth. And so we're in Genesis 4 today at the first birth uh, that happens outside. I, I can't imagine what birth would have been like in the garden, but we get to see a little picture of what it looks like. And Adam and Eve who sinned and are now out of the garden experiencing sin and death and the brokenness, the curse that comes on us from disobedience, uh, and uh, we see the first birth. So this is our, today we're going to look at Cain and Abel and these first births, and hopefully they'll point us to Jesus. Uh, so this is right after all, all that happened, and they're out. Adam loved his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth 
a man. Like, cool. I think it's just cool to see her heart even, like her, her response is like, the Lord still ultimately gave me this man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. So right away we get uh, Adam and Eve and they have a child. They actually have two kids. They have an older son, Cain, and then his brother Abel. Just a helpful notes here to see like he, uh, this is a moment that Adam and Eve like know what it was like to be in the garden. And now they know what it's like to not be in the garden. They're like the, the people that would understand how sweet it was and how I have to imagine like extra level of how hard it is now to know what it was. And then if you can imagine a mother giving birth to a son who she probably loves dearly, but also knows she's giving birth to his son into a cursed, broken world. Maybe really hard knowing what could have been. There has to be moments of like, if only he could see. I'm sure, I would guess as they grow up, they hear stories of the garden, how, how sweet it was to walk in the cool of the day with the Lord. I would guess they hear stories of maybe what not to do. Like we all have, right, growing up. I don't know if in my house I definitely heard, when I was a kid, I did this, so you shouldn't do this. <laughs> Can you imagine being Adam and Eve's kid? When we, were, when we were young, we brought a curse upon all of humanity. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> Be home at 10. Uh, so she has a child, Cain and his brother Abel. So we see the first birth. It's pretty incredible. The first people who get to walk into life now, born into this kind of brokenness. Now Abel kept flocks. So Abel, the younger brother, was a shepherd and Cain worked the soil. He was a farmer. He was a shepherd and a farmer, sons. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So Cain grew stuff and he brought some of that to the Lord as an offering, saying, here, God, this is some of the stuff you've grown. And Abel also brought an offering. So his brother also offers. So there's must be something that they've been taught or their family has encouraged them and like, the Lord gives us. Maybe even we get a clue in this first verse when his mom says, the Lord has brought forth a man. Like the Lord is giving us these things and they have maybe been pretty serious about like, God is, is actually who he says he is. And we offer to him, we give him what he's given back to us. It's just really kind of an overflow for them. So Abel also brings an offering of fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offerings, but on Cain and his offerings, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So to see a different result here. So we see Cain offers, Abel offers, but God looks with favor on Abel. He doesn't look with favor on Cain's. We get a little clue in here of what maybe happened differently because this makes Cain upset. Understandably, I think you'd be upset. I offered stuff, God. Why aren't you happy with my offering? I think we get a sense of where their heart's at in this. So Cain, in verse three, he brings the first, he brings some of the fruits of the soil. So he kind of brings like what he maybe has left over or just maybe he takes what he wants or the best or even gets all the things he needs or his family needs. And then he goes, hey God, here's some stuff. Almost out of like an obligation or a duty, like a, I better give it to the Lord so he's not angry. And it seems that Abel gives the first, firstborn of his flock. This is different, right? He gives the first thing he does is God has given me something and I want to give that right back. I've been blessed by God and I want to give right back. There seems to be a different heart there. One seems to be the heart of kind of duty. Like I have to do this so God is happy and one is, seems to be out of a sense of kind of love and relationship there, which we get this worship out of his heart and the 
some of his soil kind of supposed to, which is, a, which is a thing we see throughout scripture. We actually see this later in a story where Jesus talks about an older brother and a younger brother. Uh, and the older brother actually is upset at the end of the story because his father shows grace to the younger brother. And the older brother says, I do so much for you. Why aren't you giving me favor? So I wonder if Cain's feeling the same thing. In this moment, he's doing what he's supposed to do and God isn't doing what he's supposed to do. There's this exchange happening and it seems that Abel maybe is looking less an exchange and more of out of a heart of like, God, you've given us so much and I just want to give this to you because of my love for you. I wonder if this angry downcast is a jealousy of it's not fair. I mean, especially a younger brother, your younger brother gets the favor. I'm the older brother. I'm the better brother. Maybe he's just upset. He wanted God's approval and love. And he thought, I thought this is what I was supposed to do is do stuff for you. And then you do stuff for me. Maybe he just feels entitled that I deserve this and I didn't get what I deserve. Or God, I gave you some fruit and you didn't, like, I'm not even going to give you fruit if you're not going to show me favor. So he's pretty upset about this. Very upset. So two brothers, the ones who born into this life, into a world that's broken where, where everything doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. Uh, things get worse. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will not be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So God asks him why he's angry and he warns him of sin. He's like, sin is coming. Sin is, is this turning away from God. It's crouching. Like he gives this like animal description for it. It's waiting for you like a lion. It's, gonna, it's waiting to jump on you. Maybe even turn this anger into disobedience, even into worship of something other than God. It's looking to really kind of destroy you, to rule over you. And then what happens is it does. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I mean, you see, his anger comes up. All the things that are probably mixed in there, Sin takes a hold of that, takes that opportunity, and doesn't just cause hatred for his brother, but literally causes his brother to kill him. And so we have, it's a sin. This is a cycle we're going to see for many, many, many generations of all these things change a person's heart to the point of taking, and not just taking things this time, but takes his brother's life. So then God comes to him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't, I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? It's interesting as this moment happened with his parents. If you remember in the garden, God comes up to them after they've sinned and he says, hey, where are you? As if like God doesn't know, they're like hiding in bushes. It's like when a kid hides behind a curtain and you're like, where are you? But you know, they're behind the curtain. Uh, God's like, where are you? Where is your brother Abel? As if God doesn't know what just happened. Uh, to Cain, and Cain's, I don't know. He does know, right? Because he just killed him. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What an interesting way to say that, right? His blood cries out. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it'll no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Woof. So it's actually similar to what we saw in his parents. 
He has sinned and turned from God. His response is to continue to kind of turn from God, even lie, try to deceive God. And the curse for him isn't death. It's that he's going to wander, that his profession, the profession, the thing he does well, isn't going to work anymore. The blood of his brother has soaked into the earth. And as a symbol of that, even he won't bear fruit anymore. And now you're going to wander. I mean, that's a, that's a curse. You're going to not, you're not just going to be, be a bad farmer. You're going to not have people. You're going to be alone and, and wandering around. And, and Cain actually feels that way. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Please don't give me that. Today, you're, you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. He says, I'm going to wander around and someone's going to kill me. I'm going to die now. There's a sense even here, like, I, I, do, I don't know how to worship you. I think it might give Cain, like, a hard, really hard time. Uh, I, I see a lot of this in myself. I, I was trying to figure out a way, and I thought worshiping you meant just, like, give you stuff because you give me stuff. And there's something different here, and he's, this is a terrible punishment. I don't know what I'm going to do. But the Lord said to him, not so. I will not let people kill you. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a, a mark on Cain so that no one would, uh, found, who found him would kill him. So he actually changes his appearance somehow so that people wouldn't know it was Cain who killed his brother. So Cain went out of the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is, I mean, just heartbreaking. Again, God's people, his family, sin and turn from him and their curses to be sent away from the Lord. I mean, the phrase to be out of the Lord's presence alone is a, it sounds like a terrible, terrible thing. It is. So Cain was sent out. And so we hear the story of the birth of a boy and his brother, and sin gets a hold of him, and he takes. He takes, she takes the life of his brother and is cursed and feels the result, the consequence of what it looks like to continue to sin and turn away. And then we just see this pattern for a long, long time. We see it in a big scale as we just continue to look at history of the world, right? Throughout all of time, not just a brother and a brother, but whole armies of brothers against whole armies of brothers and sisters and families and people finding reasons to take other people, their stuff in their lives you might feel this like in a big, more corporate, giant worldview. But I think this also happens. We feel the same cycle happening over and over. People are born and there, there becomes moments of whether it's jealousy and anger mixed with entitlement or just like, I, what did I do? I don't get why I'm not getting what I want. Or maybe just being hurt themselves because they're now in a broken world where others will hurt them. Maybe without even knowing it. And so we feel the effects that these brothers felt still for generation after generation. And we feel them even still just in our lives, right? Whether it's loneliness or anger or just broken relationship, whether it's just being hurt or feeling our bodies fall apart. Maybe it's just having someone roll their eyes at you so hard that it hurts. <laughs> it's that brokenness, not just in relationship. We see that right in our homes, in our workplaces. We feel it in our cars when you're driving maybe at a holiday trip. 
you ever have a Cain and Abel moment in the backseat of a car with someone? <laughs> where, where your dad ends up threatening to be a Cain if you don't stop to pull over the car? You're like, oh, we're all Cains now. We're all angry. We see the store. There's nothing like a Christmas time fight at Target, right? That you're like, oh, this is Mary <laughs> that we're screaming. We see it everywhere throughout time and history. So from the moment of Cain for many, 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 many years, People feel the effects of this. Wherever they are in the world, whatever time they are in the world, they feel the effects of anger or bitterness or the brokenness leading to a broken relationship to taking to hearts that seem to have shrunk to raisin size. And so how, how does that get fixed? How, the people of God for years and years and years and years go, how are we going to do this? So we maybe create better like rules and laws to figure that out. Maybe we just keep pushing people away who are hurt, hurtful to us. Or maybe we, we just keep saying we're okay and they're not okay. There's all sorts of ways, right? Mostly some version of us creating a system that somehow makes us not do this. And it does not work. We find ourselves through all the time and all of history over and over, many generations, many births, Many sons that were born that you hoped, many daughters that were born, maybe they're the ones who can fix all this. And we just find ourselves still clothed in the Grinch. I Google searched for clothed in Christ, and I Google searched clothed in Grinch. And thank you, internet. There's this basic photo of a family. I don't think this is actually a real family, clothed in the Grinch. We still find ourselves as Cain. And we're still surrounded by Cain's. Even in the warmest, most magical moments, sitting by a fire with some hot cocoa, listening to the perfect like crooner Christmas mix, surrounded by family and friends, there's still, sin still is like crouching just outside the door, ready, ready. So how do we get ourselves to a heart that grows three times or more? How do we find ourselves whole again? This is why Christmas is so sweet. The birth of Cain led to, continued to lead to sin and brokenness. And finally, there was a birth that didn't and that doesn't. And still today, that birth changes who we are. Titus 3, uh, this is our family's like memory verse for the month. Uh, it's such a good Christmas verse. The second half of this is. Um, and so I, I was excited to share it with you today. This sums up from Cain to Jesus. What does it look like? At one time, we were too foolish. We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. It's like the scribes. It's a great headline for the Cain and Abel story. But, incredibly, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, came to us. The incarnation, God actually comes to us. He saved us. Think of all those years, all those generations. There's a point where people can't ever remember a time that their grandfather or great-grandfather or great-grandmother could even imagine a moment when things were right. The, the garden is so far away, it's hard to even know. Was that even a real thing? And then there's a moment that God comes to us, steps down from his throne and appears and he saves us. And it's not because of righteous things that we had done. It's not because we gave the right offering, 
but because of his great mercy. Christmas explains the story of Cain and Abel. It explains that God was not looking for Cain to do the right things just so that God would be happy with him. He wanted Cain's heart to move towards him. And so on a, uh, in a cave or stable, depending on where in the world you uh, illustrate your nativity scene, for all people around all of the earth and all places and all crevices and all languages, our God comes, the Lord comes to us and is born to his mother Mary and father Joseph to save the world. And on that night, uh, to some lowly shepherds, some angels come and announce the thing you've been waiting for, the thing that you've been hoping and hoping and hoping for and your parents hoped for when you were born and their parents hoped for when they were born, that this, would, this person's generation would be the one when this all is fixed. It happens. And so Jesus is born in a manger. And then there are some shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They're keeping watch over their flocks at night. It's not fun. There's shepherds like Abel. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They're out just in the darkness with their sheep and suddenly it's bright. And suddenly there's angels and they were terrified. Understandably, that's terrifying. But the angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. The one he's come. Finally, there's a birth that is going to change everything. And it's a birth that comes because God himself births a child through Mary. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, so there's angels that are talking to them. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appear with the angels, praising God. Suddenly all of these things appear and they start singing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. What else would you do that? You go, that was cool. Back to the sheep. You got to go see it. This has changed the whole world all of time. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Imagine them running in there and going, you're the ones, right? This, he's the one. You wouldn't believe what just happened. And they said, you wouldn't believe what just happened. What a moment, a moment where like the heavens declare and the heavens celebrate that finally someone has come to rescue us. Finally, someone has come so that favor would rest on us. The thing Cain wanted so bad, willing to kill his brother over his anger for not receiving and us continuing that cycle, finally favor will rest on us. And they tell us we don't have to be afraid they bring us really good news, and it's not just for us, it's for everybody. News that's going to bring us great joy, not fear or anger or laying our heads down. It's like they lift our heads up and say, he's here, he's come, and he's born. So I, it's one of my favorites, I love showing this, and this would be finally the right sermon to show this picture. <laughs> this is an incredible piece of work that's done by Grace Remington, uh, uh, sister in actually Dubuque. They have a sweet little uh, 
Abby down there. She created this. Uh, it was actually, I just learned like with crayons and pencils. Uh, it just captures the gospel in such a way and it captures this moment, right? This is Eve, the mother of Cain, and this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she titled it, Mary Consoles Eve. And the reason she can do that is because her son, who, who right in this picture, right, is in her belly. She puts her hand on, she goes, the, the stuff you've experienced with your sons, the death you've experienced with your sons, the casting out of your son, Cain. I, I mean, the heartache, the brokenness in your family, the things I know you feel responsible for, the things you, the, they're being wrapped up in sin and these lies. Look at this head that's downcast. It's okay. Because he's here. I mean, what an incredible moment she gets to, console her in that it's, it's finally done. This thing your family started ends here with our family. And so there's this great comparison of these two figures that we see. This is uh, from Pastor uh, A.J. Thomas, uh, and he, he shares this great comparison. I just love these. It's so encouraging. He reminds us that uh, as people who are like Cain, Jesus comes to rescue us. And Jesus is the much better than Cain or Abel or anyone. He reminds us that Cain was kill, killed the righteous. He killed his brother Abel, who we hear other times in Scripture was considered righteous. In Hebrews, we hear that. That his heart, his faith was, was in God. And then we hear about Jesus who was killed for the unrighteous, for us. Finally, someone comes. God himself comes and rescues us. And Cain is punished for his sin and Jesus then is punished for our sin. He eventually grows up and is put on a cross, not because he has sinned or broken the law, but because he is paying for the sin that we should have paid for. He's paying for Cain's sin. Is that wild? Cain has no idea in that moment that he's cast out, that one day Jesus is going to come. Many years after that and pay for that moment. Cain is driven by his pride his anger, and Jesus himself, God himself, humbles himself to come down to rescue us. The one who, who doesn't need to do that, but does that out of his great love for us. He hated his brother, and Jesus, we hear, it comes for those who hate him. In fact, gives his life for people who hate him, who, who want him dead. Even to the end, as he gives his last breaths, he prays for those around him. And lastly, Cain is given grace in spite of his sin. God could have killed him. And then he said, I'm still going to, you're still alive. In fact, I'm going to protect you. It's such a little picture of us being Cain's, right? We, even though we sin, God still protects us and cares for us. Even though we deserve death, he gives us life. And Jesus gives grace in spite of our sin incredible moment. This birth of this man seems to put our world in a spin and Jesus comes and stops this chaos and brings order and life. Um, our friend, when else do I get to put Santa hats on people? Just for a few weeks. Uh, Tecumbo says this, the story of the angelic hosts and of the visit of the shepherds to the ma manger is perhaps the best known of all the nativity stories. 
But the rich imagery of the entire story appeals to some of the most profoundest feelings in the human heart. The shepherds caring for their sheep, the mother and father caring for their newborn, the angel uh, choir breaking into the darkness of earth's night to herald the long-awaited sunrise, assuring the humble poor that whatever the mighty governments of the world might be doing, God cares for people. And with a shepherd's heart has chosen that Jesus should be born, not in a palace, but in a manger. See what's happening here? The singing of the angels changes our hearts. The, the God coming in person in a humble manger to people who people don't come to or look to changes our hearts. It's a way better story than the Grinch. It's a way cooler moment than Whoville people singing in a circle. It's a story, it's a gospel, the good news that can change our hearts. So as we become people who feel our hearts grow tired and weak and small, hard, maybe we're feeling uh, the effects of just comparison or frustration or maybe anger, sins crouching, waiting to use that to turn us away from God, or maybe we just feel the broken relationships or we feel overlooked feeling less than, we're having the, uh, a cane moment of feeling. In all that moment, the answer isn't to just like work harder at not being angry. It's not necessarily even to like drink more hot cocoa or watch another movie that maybe would make me feel good in the moment, but it's to remember the moment when Christ comes to rescue the world. There's great, great joy that's come because our Savior has come and broken that cycle. And so Christ comes to strengthen our hearts, to fill us, to encourage us, so that we could be people who overflow. But it starts here. It starts with us remembering the story. Uh, G.K. Uh, Chesterton is an old uh, storyteller and theologian and lots of things. Uh, he loves Christmas. And he writes that Christmas to him is a time to walk backwards in history to a moment uh, he says, where a, where a homeless woman has a child and makes a home for all of us. So that when we come back to the place we started, we realize this isn't our home. That was our home. So Christmas is an opportunity for our hearts to grow because we go back and remember the moment God came to us to rescue us. It's incredible. So this is my prayer for us this season. would be as we think of... Uh, feel the moments and feel the effects of Cain around us, that we remember that Christ has come to rescue us and change us, and then we know that one day he'll come back and make all things good, and there'll be even a better Eden than we ever had before. And that's really good news. That brings a lot of great joy. I'm going to invite our worship team up. We're going we're gonna to sing to celebrate this good news, uh, the good news that changes hearts uh, in us couple things to consider as we respond to this good news, this gospel. Um, have you ever received this gift of Jesus? Have you said yes to him? Have you said, yeah, I do believe. Not because I have to, because it's out of duty or to make God happy so he's happy with me, but just because of God's mercy and kindness has come to me and I get to say yes to this. When do you identify the most with Cain and why? Maybe consider when are you having a Cain moment, when do you feel like sin is crouching, ready to, to jump and, and turn what you're feeling and thinking into something that has turned you from God? Hey, who reminds you that Christ is born, gathers around the manger with you? 
like the shepherds and celebrates that, this great day together. And who needs to know that the Savior is born, has come? Who needs to know that good news? Um, there's ways also to celebrate this and respond. We have communion out at the communion tables. They're out in the hallway. Um, that's a, a cracker that reminds us that Jesus' body was broken. Jesus commands us to do this. He says, hey, I, I want you to do this when you get together. Remember that my body was broken. And so we have a, a cracker and we have some grape juice. He says, and drink this. So you remember my blood was shed. This thing that happened happened so that your body wouldn't have to be broken and your blood wouldn't have to be shed. Um, and so we take communion out in the hallway to do that. We also sing as a way to just corporately lift up our voices uh, like the angels did uh, the day he was born and proclaim the good news of the Savior. We also have people who would love to pray for you in the back of the room. They're standing in the back with yellow lanyards on. Uh, they'd love to pray for anything and for anyone. So take them up on that. We also can respond just by giving. Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll move into a time here to just worship together. Lord, thank you for um, your kindness that came not because uh, of my righteousness, but because of your great mercy. That's really good news. Thank you that you didn't just leave us uh, in, a, in a forever cycle of, of uh, sin and death and brokenness, but you've come to rescue us. And I pray this story would not just be a fun uh, December time story, but it would be one that would change us, that we would look down upon your manger in that moment and that would make our hearts grow big and uh, it would bring great joy to us. And that, Lord, you'd even use that to help us, use us to, to share, even overflow that to others so others would know this good news. We love you, Lord. You're really good to us. Amen.